Thank you for choosing Talks News. Your only source into taking the mask off and revealing why I left the left. I am your host, a leftist made of straw. Today's date is April 28th, 2021. Let the record show. And per usual, we begin with the Pledge of Allegiance, the Talks News way. I pledge allegiance to liberty and justice for all. And yet again, I am thank you. I am thanking you for joining me, um, haphazardly and tripping over my own tongue. Uh, but we have quite a treasure trove of content to get through. Uh, I had no militia watch update last week, so we're gonna have to go through two. Um, I, I I recorded an original one for the date of April nineteenth, but uh, I didn't like how I went about it, so I deleted that recording because I have the power here. Here in the Tox News Zone, I am the divine who decides what comes in, what goes out. And I felt that my Militia Watch update was insufficient, so I deleted it. So we're going to have the week of the 19th and the week of the 26th this week's uh, to follow each other back to back. And then I have several news segments to get into. Um, one from Crowder talking about Tucker Carlson's comments on the mask. Two from Tucker Carlson uh, with two guests, one being uh, Sagar from The Hill, another being Glenn from, uh, formerly from uh, The Intercept, who is now doing his own thing. And then we have Tulsi Gabbard meeting with Michael Knowles. So we'll begin first with the weekly update. Uh, again, this one's beginning on the week of April 19th. So we have an Oathkeeper member, uh, Oathkeeper founder pleading guilty. Uh, the QRF looks more material. Uh, we'll get more into what the QRF is as we scroll. Uh, three percenters adherents assault interracial couples for second time in three weeks in South Carolina. And then finally, for this week's update, we have Wolverine Watchmen Brothers removed from house arrest. It begins with the Oath Keepers court updates. We have new court documents detail some of the specifics of the Oath Keepers quick reaction force or QRF, staged for the storming of the U.S. Capitol building on January 6. This includes details about the group's quartermaster's stay at a Comfort Inn across the Potomac River in Virginia, where firearms are legal, versus a weapons ban in D.C. Multiple defendants in ongoing conspiracy cases have also um, had their discussions about the QRF quick response force in signal chats included as evidence which perhaps seems to indicate that this aspect was more serious than defendants have pushed in the press since the storming itself so they were planning qrf keeping guns at a comfort inn in virginia where guns are legal and um you know this is information that we're really finding out now but i do find it fascinating that this all this plotting was going on while the capitol police were deciding to come with a very relaxed response to the protest which then later ended as an insurrection so the update here continues on top of that though one of the co-founders of the oath keepers who was present at the storming is the first oath keeper to plead guilty and agree to turn over all information he has on the group and j6 organizers john schaefer this oath keepers member is also the guitarist and frontman of a metal band schaefer however was not part of the ranger stack of oath keepers who entered the east entrance of the capital and likely was not deeply involved in the group's organizing for the day 
In semi-related news, a new report indicates that Capitol Police were directed to exercise restraint against those storming the grounds. So, yeah, yet again, uh, the the QRF, they they had guns uh, at the Comfort Inn in Virginia, planning a quick reaction force. And at that same time, Capitol Police were directed to exercise restraint. Um, whether or not they exercised restraint because they were aware of the QRF is a uh, another circumstance that would have to be dived deeper into. But as far as we know, they were both ignorant of each other in those regards. Oath Keepers were probably not respecting or expecting that lacks of uh, security and uh, the Capitol Police probably were not expecting uh, quite a you know raucous ornery uh, crowd ornery sorry so other updates here another three percenters linked armed assault against interracial couples in Columbia South Carolina was reported this past week this is the second time in three weeks that this has happened in the South Carolina capital city Sons of Confederate veterans were denied a permit for their Confederate Memorial Day event at Stone Mountain for the first time in its 20-year tradition. The park said that holding such an event would present them with a clear and present danger to public safety. Instead of hosting an event in the park on the 26th of April, the SCVs, or Sons of Confederate Veterans, uh, mechanized Calvary Road motorcycles around the park this Saturday the 17th. Some came armed, and the group received a police escort. Last August, the park denied a permit to a collection of militia groups who ended up showing uh, showing in the nearby town of Stone Mountain anyway, where they clashed with anti-racists who showed in opposition, and more can be read here. Uh, Last August, I think that's actually when I became aware of the NFAC, which is a uh, black nationalist militia group um, also known as Not Fucking Around Coalition, and they showed up in decent numbers with firearms uh, ready to go. It was a very interesting uh, turn of events. I'm not sure I felt positive at the moment. I was genuinely concerned for everybody's safety as I saw so many militias and guns coming out uh, around that time. So we have, continuing on here, a nationwide call for White Lives Matter Day of Action on Sunday 11th of April mostly fizzled out last week as WLM Telegram, White Lives Matter Telegram channels, canceled events or turned out to be honeypots set up by anti-fascists. In Huntington Beach, California, several neo-Nazis and a KKK leader were involved in planning and showed up, and a man with a swastika tattoo punched an Asian man who showed as part of a counter demonstration terrible in fort worth texas a small cohort of right-wing demonstrators showed up but were outnumbered five to one a man in in a hawaiian shirt circled the counter demonstration on a motorcycle making a cutthroat sign with his finger as he rode past (sighs) deep divides in america i tell you what Uh, Moving on, the Solano County Sheriff now says that the FBI found no evidence to indicate his deputies were members of extremist organizations after an investigative report by Open Vallejo indicated that many very much were. The response is laughably bad and seems to completely avoid the majority of the content from the original investigation. It is being called out as such already. Chris Pratt has still not given word about his police officer brother making uh, three percenters woodworking products being a central point of the piece. 
I'm not sure if Chris Pratt really needs to answer for his brother. I would be more concerned if Chris Pratt was also into making, you know, woodworking three percenters iconography. Um, but as far as I know, Chris Pratt is just a conservative who is an actor or an actor who happens to be a conservative. Um, but his brother definitely seems to have a bit more radicalized beliefs if he's gone as far as becoming a police officer and aligning himself with three percenters militia group who are a white nationalist militia organization. Um, so I'm not sure Chris Pratt really has to give word about that. Maybe he does. Um, but I definitely would like to see police officers who have these kind of relationships with militia groups possibly not being police. It seems like a bit of a conflict of interest if we are actually going to start seeing conflict in the streets of America. But moving on. The Null Brothers of Wolverine Watchmen notoriety were released from house arrest and relieved of their curfew this past week. The men will still be monitored via GPS as part of their bond. A sovereign citizen movement in Arkansas was rebuked by a local court on a 6-5 decision against their hope to adopt a Bill of Rights sanctuary ordinance for their locality. Uh, once more demonstrating their coziness with law enforcement, a Virginia County militia donated medical bags with $500 of medical supplies to the uh, Appomattox County Sheriff's Office. So again, the coziness between uh, law enforcement and militia groups is a bit unsettling for me. And I will include in the description below uh, these Militia Watch updates because they do have a couple of further readings. One of them is a opinion on how the GOP bears responsibility for far-right violence, and I think it's coming from the Washington Post. Another reading on the continued tension over a nonprofit militia-style organization and their shooting grounds near San Diego, which I think is being reported if I can get this right, Escondido Grapevine. Um, so uh, in the description below, you'll find this update and its further readings in there. But moving on to this weekly update, this week's update from Militia Watch. Uh, it's a brief one, though. So we have three points to go through. We have a militia training site refuses to shut down. We have Zello tapes now available to the public. And we have more Proud Boys arrested for their role in J6. So beginning now with some miscellaneous updates a vermont militia training center owner refuses to dismantle his illegal training site after months of local complaints about gunfire and threats from the site's clientele and ownership the training site is near the new york border a militia group provided security for a shasta county california uh, oh sorry a militia group provided security for a shasta county california recall newsom meeting according to those attending the meeting. That was a hard sentence to read. A lot of commas. I'm sorry about that. Um, a league of the South member who was charged for illegally carrying a gun during a demonstration in support of a Confederate monument had her GoFundMe pulled from the fundraising site after Daily Dot contacted the company for comment. The misdemeanor charges against Jessica Revis are over a year old, which is about how long the fundraiser was online. In more news, more Oath Keepers evidence submitted by the DOJ detail how uh, Defendant Kelly Meggs was, quote, searching for at least one member of Congress, in particular House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, unquote. Another party messaged Meggs that they were hoping to see Nancy's head rolling down the front steps, which Meggs replied to with, we looked forward her. We looked forward her? 
The judge in the case noted that forward was likely a typo for the word for. Okay. So we looked for her. Um, yeah. Um, again, like not everybody who stormed the Capitol had intentions beyond following the crowd, but there were certainly those in the crowd who had deeper intentions, deeper motivations, and uh, we really need to be aware of that. Re uh, relatedly, the full Zello tapes recording is now available covering conversations happening while the Capitol was being stormed, a companion militia watch piece detailing some of the content that remains on Zello and what the data set of far-right organizing looked like is available here and they include a link uh so again in the militia watch update there's a full link here and it appears that there is uh the zello tapes on youtube so you can find all of that um moving on we have new timber unity signs were spotted in oregon this week months after the organization has been heavily uh recuperated and funded by elite established interests Cool. A federal judge ordered two Proud Boys leaders from Florida into custody this week. These two men, Ethan Nordine and Joseph Biggs, are alleged to have planned to disrupt Congress as some of the first people to breach the U.S. Capitol building on J6. Relatedly, a new ACLED report profiling the Proud Boys and their activity within the dataset is now available online here and they include that link um acled is uh armed conflict location and event data set and i definitely like um what they do the acled um i don't think is partisan um they usually even take a look around on conflicts around the globe so i highly recommend their website and included in this is further reading on uh kansas city massey's uh, or Casey Massey's impact a year after his death. Casey Massey's. I'm not sure who Casey Massey is. Let me click this real quick. How a dangerous North Texas militiaman became a symbol for a growing extremist movement is the headline of this article. Um, I guess Casey is his nickname. All right. So, yeah, that further reading on Casey Massey and the impact a year after his death, which I might want to actually check out later. So I'm going to save this in a link, open a new tab there. And like I said, I will include these in the description below. Check out militia.watch and get all that sweet, juicy militia watch information if that's what you're into. All right, segments. We begin now with the segments. Oh, boy. Um, we're going to start off easy as easy as Crowder's show can be. Um, we're going to talk about masks. So, you know, how I said, you know, taking the mask off and revealing why I left the left. That was my beginning, you know, your only source to thing. Um, this is the mask off part. So uh, we'll get to why I left the left in a little bit, but let's begin now with uh, the mask off. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of confidence, the cock of the walk, baby. Uh, <laughs> Tucker Carlson oh is trending right now, this very second, because uh, he had some commentary on masks, more specifically on forcing children to mm -hmm. wear masks. And people are now saying that he's a, a, a national health hazard. Here you go. As for forcing children to wear masks outside, that should be illegal. Your response when you see children wearing masks as they play should be no different from your response to seeing someone beat a kid in Walmart. Call the police immediately. Contact mm. Child Protective Services. Keep calling. I mean, I already hate how he's conflating, like, 
you know, if you're a parent and you want them to wear a mask and you make them wear a mask because, you know, a lot of kids are going to be defiant to that, especially if they don't understand what's going on, um, how that's equivalent to like physical abuse. You know, if you're not like slapping the mask on their face and slapping the shit out of them while you're doing it, I don't think that's too much abuse. But I think if you're a parent, you should probably um, teach your kids the importance of why you're wearing a mask and why you want them to wear a mask. Um, but I don't think it's child abuse. That's just a serious level of exaggeration coming from Tucker Carlson. Only until someone arrives. And and the unfortunate thing is, is that he has millions of viewers who will now, you know, use his rhetoric and his, what we could call Tucker Carlson logic, uh, TC logic, maybe Cucker Carlson logic, who knows. Um, his Cucker logic will now equate in his viewers brains that wearing a child wearing a mask is the same thing as them receiving physical abuse and not going to have good discourse based off of that are we what you're looking at is abuse it's child abuse and you are morally obligated to attempt to prevent it if it's see and that's like that's really horrifying to tell his viewers that is that they are morally obligated to tell the parent who has a child wearing a mask that they are abusing their child that is a serious level of exaggeration of information and logic that will just lead to unreasonable situations and cops being called for things that probably are a waste of their time. Um, so this is good. This is good stuff. I'm glad he's building an army of take that mask off type of people, um, you know, in retaliation of a year of them being told to wear a mask. Um Although I'm not sure what's going on here because somebody wearing a mask is doing less harm to you than someone who last year decided not to wear a mask, especially during the heights of our pandemic. So, um, yeah, very weird reverse discrimination going on here. It's your own children being abused, then act accordingly. Let's say your kid's school emailed you to announce that every day after lunch, your sixth grader was going to get punched in the face by a teacher. That happens. How would you respond to that? That happens. What do you mean that happens? Like, when does an uh, uh, when does a school ever email a parent and say, "Hey, just so you know, your child's going to be punched at least once a day"? And again, this is not equivalent whatsoever. Asking a child to wear a mask is not like punching them in the mouth. This is ridiculous. That's precisely how you should respond when they tell you that your kids have to wear masks on the soccer field. That is unacceptable. It is dangerous and we should act like it because it is. I would definitely agree that to an extent when you're doing like really aerobic exercise, it's probably not the best idea to wear a mask because you need good airflow um, to do, you know, something that is, you know, aerobic like that. Even, you know, weightlifting, you can kind of make the argument, although um, weightlifters are able to take a bit more of a break if they're into those things before doing their next set of reps. But um, with like playing a soccer game, I could see how incredibly difficult it could be to wear a mask and play soccer. Um, and that's why it's important to be able to test everybody's temperature before playing. Although with COVID, there's a two week disparity of whether or not it will be caught. So um, yeah, it's the aerobic exercise we can all have a discussion on, but saying kids just outright don't have to wear masks or shouldn't wear masks because it's abuse. Uh, this is just a level of discourse that you're not going to be able to reason with anybody with because in the same way that QAnon thought Democrats were kidnapping children and sucking their lifeblood after raping them, like you can't have a rational conversation with somebody because they truly believe that's what's happening.
It's our job to brush them back and restore the society we were born in. So the next time you see someone in a And then I, I, I like that term that he used there. I, you know, in a way that I don't like it. I don't know why I said I liked it, but saying that we need to return to the society that we were born in. Um, that's like a set of words that you could literally use in any time of, you know, progressive politics or some kind of politics that has changed or culture that has changed. It's just the perfect slogan for conservatism, you know, conservatives return society to where it was when you were born, you know, in a mask on the sidewalk or on the bike path. Do not hesitate. Ask politely, but firmly, would you please take off your mask? Now, look now. If you do come up politely and, you know, firmly and say, hey, would you take off your mask? You should be just as fine if someone says no. And then you should walk away and enjoy the rest of your day. But that's unfortunately not the thing that Tucker Carlson is arguing here for, is that he wants you to belligerent people into taking off their masks. Because even if you come up to somebody peacefully and say, hey, take off your mask, they say no and continue to walk, and it becomes more confrontational after that because you will not accept the no, or they even get more confrontational because they believe that they're doing the right thing in order to reduce the amount of spread of COVID. You're, you're, you're just making a bad situation. So um, my thing is, is if people want to wear masks, I genuinely do not care. For the most part, they are not doing any uh, harm to me. They're not affecting my life whatsoever. In a way, I think they're being very considerate because with masks, I kind of like the idea that as we talk to each other now, we're spitting on each other a lot less. So there's a bit of a benefit to having masks, especially with people who aren't very comfortable and whether or not they have COVID and whether or not they can spread it. So I don't see any harm whatsoever of continuing to wear masks, especially if we reach the point of vaccination where everything's starting to return to normal or herd immunity due to vaccinations, vaccination, vaccinations, geez. And we reach that 80% mark. That would like 80% of people are vaccinated and herd immunity is being achieved. I think people can still wear masks if they choose to do so. Like in Japan, they do. They do in, in India where it's heavily polluted. It's a personal choice. Who gives a fuck? The thing is, though, is that when we had the argument a year ago, it's hard to make the argument of a personal choice with not wearing a mask when that personal choice does affect others, whereas wearing a mask does not affect others. In, in harmful ways. It's actually a, a precaution to not harming people. So that's a bigger reason why you should not give a fuck if some random person is wearing a mask, wherever they wear a mask. But this has always been the conservative thing, was to oppose wearing a mask because the government told me to do it and because Fauci said it wasn't necessary and then he said it was necessary and I'm just tired of all this hypocrisy and being told what to do. You know, and it, it, it's unfortunate that all of them spent so much time listening to Crowder, Ben Shapiro, Tucker Carlson, because they fed them arguments into why they should not wear their masks. And now they're so into those arguments and into that framework is it's it's so difficult to even tell them that it's fine if someone else chooses to wear a mask, even if they're vaccinated. <laughs> I've had criticisms for Tucker Carlson before. Namely that, you know, he was a he had the bow tie and then he got rid of yeah, it and then he true. acts like it never happened. Oh it's like, God. we remember the bow tie. <laughs> I mean, just imagine the, you know, the news reporter integrity here is that he's saying, I've, I've had criticisms towards Tucker Carlson before. He used to wear a bow tie. Oh my God. The intellectual depth going into this disagreement. 
whoa, they have, they must be sitting on two different sides of the conservative spectrum, bro, because he agrees with the bow tie and Steven Crowder doesn't. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Nobody liked the bow tie. Nobody did. Absolutely nobody. <laughs> didn't forget. But he's absolutely right here. This is. I don't understand how this is an outrage. Again, keep in mind that Tucker Carlson there said, please tell them peacefully, be respectful, that they should remove. Now, he's just, he's just imploring you to do what the left does, yeah. only to do yeah. it more politely. This is not like Maxine Waters saying, find them at the diners and mess up their day, whatever it is that she said. <laughs> All right, well, a couple of things to go over there. Um, so he's saying that it's okay to do it because the left, so-called leftists, not even just moderate, you know, house moms, were yelling at each other to wear their masks. So it's in retaliation, which makes it okay. Um, and then he uses Maxine Waters as an example of somebody who, you know, encouraged people to yell at other people belligerently. But Maxine Waters wasn't talking about masks. She was talking about the criminal justice system and the protests surrounding Derek Chauvin's trial and the murder of Dante Wright. So, you know, not quite being very consistent here in talking about the issues. Apartment store. She called people to violence repeatedly. Did, He's yeah. saying yeah. peacefully ask people if they are outside wearing a mask that it offends you that they should remove it because it's stupid. Yeah, it's beyond stupid. It is. Be yeah, because it's stupid. It's stupid. I believe it is stupid for you to keep wearing a mask. And so I'm going to tell you that you should not wear a mask. Although I am also a conservative who believes in individual freedom. Like what a weird position to take. Um, Crowder's co-host or guest host here are the Hodge twins, and they're a couple of conservatives that um, also try to make comedy, but I rarely ever find them funny. Um, but they're there to give their two cents as well, uh, just to let the podcast viewers, or I guess everybody, know because you can't see what's going on just yet. Um, but yeah, it's uh, you know conservatives being like so oh small government, big personal freedom. You know, and then, you know, somebody chooses to wear a mask and because wearing a mask has been so politicized over a year, they now have to take the stance that you wearing a mask is dumb and I'm going to use my individual freedom to tell you so and to tell you that your individual freedom does not matter because I think it's dumb. Great positioning here from the conservative party. Beyond stupid. I will say this, though. It's really valuable. I always have talked about how sort of, you know, when people talk about wars today where it's not necessarily nation versus nation, you know, at least back in the day, you look at like the Pacific Theater, right? It's yeah. like you knew Americans because there was like a one foot height difference. But you had team jerseys. The masks now act as team jerseys. If I see someone out in pub, like out in a park yeah. or alone yeah. in their car with a mask, I know they're not my friend. Yeah. <laughs> probably don't yeah. have anything in common. I think the problem with what... See, and that's amazing. Like, the, the mask has been so politicized so hard is that it's even contributing to the sectarian divide. Crowder sees someone with a, with a mask and instantly thinks, well, I don't want to relate myself to that person whatsoever. And he's feeding that to his millions of uh, listeners and viewers to do the same. So, like, you know, trying to heal the divide, not so much. Because they're saying if they're wearing a mask, there's no reason to build a bridge for that divide. You should just keep, you know what, don't keep walking. Go tell them that they're stupid and then keep walking. What he said, though, was calling Child Protective Services. I know he's trying to make a point. Yeah. And I don't think he actually expects you to call Child Protective Services. But seeing a kid getting beat by their parents and having a mask on, 
It's a little different, so I think he left himself open for a bit of yeah. critique on that. I think he put that out there so that people would bite on that. I know, but yeah. he, I think like, he wants yeah. to see himself trending on Twitter this morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably so. Look, good press for him is just people being mad at him right now. Yeah. Now, specifically, he was talking about children wearing masks, right? Yeah. Now, because of YouTube's policies, especially you, Gerald, we cannot say at all um, that masks are unnecessary for right, kids. Right. Or, again, we've had COVID videos removed because at one point Gerald wrongfully wrong, I would, <laughs> Gerald wrongfully so wrong. said that COVID was less lethal than the than the common flu to young people. Wrongfully. Oh wrong. my so, God. Wrong. I would never Horrible. say that masks for children are useless. I would never say that. I would never reflect any no. mm -hmm. Crowder's using the like the I would never say in the same way of like the other people say well, like uh, commit crimes in Minecraft, you know, to not do the TOS stuff. But he's like, you know, you know, it's dog whistly. You know, because they, they agree with these things. He's just not allowed to say them. So he has to put the addendum. I'm not allowed to say these things, although I believe them and you believe them and we know we believe them. Statistical realities no. that may compare it to the flu. Uh, the good thing is I don't have to. CDC, thank you. Oh, yeah. Oh. And what Crowder puts up is a graph of the deaths by age. Um... Not sure what actual relevancy it has at all. Um, because just because kids are less likely to die of COVID doesn't mean that they are less likely to spread it. And uh, just late last year in 2020, as schools were starting to open up, the CDC had revealed that kids are actually very capable and, in fact, more so than uh, older individuals of spreading COVID. So talking about death rates and the mask and age demographics for death rates and, you know, the mask conversation, this is all irrelevant to each other. So that's that's cool. There you go. Uh, so, and he's using it like a gotcha. That's not us. That's them. Yeah, that was the, that's C the CDC. C just CDC Center for Disease Control in the United States. Right. That yeah. agent. Uh, just making sure the experts. I don't know who's going to fact check them. <laughs> yeah. World they Health will. Organization. Yeah, it'll change yeah. in a minute. We know it won't be Taiwan. Yeah. When we was in New York last week, everybody on the street had on masks. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so even the homeless people. Right. Head mask on. Well, the good thing is it makes uh, makes them harder to identify when they commit homicide. We'll ah, get to yes. it in a second. A drastic increase in homicide. We're back to Denkins levels. Uh, by the way, despite all of the data from the CDC on COVID, hey, Michigan is still uh, enacting this toddler mask policy. Oh, yeah. Anyone oh, who's no. over two years old. Good luck with that. Good luck. No. And Michigan is a point of interest for Steven Crowder as he's gone there, uh, I think at least once in my mind, where he uh, gave a speech on how tyrannical the governor uh, of Michigan was, and I think he requested uh, that she resign. Um, and then, you know, a few months later, we found out about the Wolverine Watchmen who plotted to kidnap Governor Whitmer and hold her in trial, their own trial, uh, for the crimes that she committed against the citizens of Michigan. And now this is all in their own minds. Um, but it's it's good to see that Crowder is keeping it consistent with uh, demonizing Michigan's policies when there is such a chance of uh, violence and um, right wing revolution that could really go on there.
Oh. Dealing with the terrible twos and putting on a double ply mask. Oh man, how are you gonna keep yeah. that? How on? is that? Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Get, like, they're kids gonna are, take that right they're gonna off. Take it off like everything else they try to do. And it they're just useless. Makes common sense. <laughs> they're useless for toddlers because masks don't block boogers. Uh, <laughs> uh, they'll find hey, uh, 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 toddlers when it comes to eating boogers. Uh, life finds a way. <laughs> I don't even know what he means. Like just because a ch like a toddler is gonna sneeze on themselves and they'll have a booger inside the mask. Like it's up to the parent to clean the mask. What are we talking about? Like somebody else's booger? Like what? What does this have to do with the mask whatsoever? Like if anything, it's just gonna reduce. Like when that child sneezes and that booger comes out, it's gonna be in a reduced distance that it would normally reach without a mask. So what are we talking about? <laughs> Basically, it's just a booger, and, and there it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just love the frying pan. So the comments from Tucker Carlson, of course, sparked mass outrage. Uh, Ted Lieu, which, by the way, look, yeah. I, 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 I almost don't want to reference him. I know he sucks. Well, no, because there is an epidemic of anti-Asian hate true. crimes in this country. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And so it doesn't, black people. It, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> we didn't say it. Hey, by the that way, Asians, remember how you were the hot ticket like two weeks ago? Yeah. How does it feel to be used? Yeah. No one's how talking about feel? them anymore. Remember they tried to imply that we were anti-Asian at one oh, point? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, you, I, we have a disproportionate amount of Asians. I feel guilty for outsourcing. <laughs> That's true. I know. I feel <laughs> marginalized. Which is funny because no one in the room is Asian. Um, so, but they, Crowder has had racist caricatures in the same way that like uh, the Dr. Seuss book did. So, you know, of course he doesn't see... Uh, the disparaging comments that he's made. Of course he doesn't. So, well, not even comments, but caricatures. Just uh, stereotypical racist caricatures. He's done them before. Ted Lieu tweeted, Tucker Carlson. Like that. Like that one. And <laughs> wants to cancel parents who make the decision to have their child wear a mask. The right wing cancel culture is out of control. I see. Oh, what? Shut up. The hell? Cancel culture? Who or what are they going to try and cancel next? Major League Baseball? Oh, wait. Tucker must go. The Democratic Pat, uh, Pack Midas Touch tweeted If Tucker Carlson thinks masks are so bad, why is he comfortable wearing his hood? I get the implication. <laughs> what? That he's a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the Lincoln Project. It's really uh, funny to me, too, because since the second rise of the KKK, like they keep, you know, feeding off of the, oh, the, the, the KKK was originally the Democratic Party. Yeah, when it had Woodrow Wilson as its president and he was a big segregationist, a lost cause revisionist and played, uh, what was it? The uh, Birth of a Nation, the first ever movie. He played that at the White House, which basically said that like the KKK were the heroes of America. Um, that was the Democratic Party in the 1920s. But since the 1950s and 60s, there was a huge shift. And since then, uh, KKK, especially the last wizard, uh, Duke something, I can't even remember his name at this point, Republican. So uh, they can keep pretending that, you know, Republicans... Or Democrats have more to do with the KKK, but that was a hundred years ago. And since then, it has changed, and it has been that way for a while now. Banger, groomer, and cover-up of kids yeah. yep. tweeted, Tucker Carlson is a national security threat. Pass it on. Um, you had sex with children. Yeah. Now, I know it's not the Lincoln Project. There was a guy there, but people right. knew. Here's the thing. It's one thing, let's say you're pushing, I don't know, uh, let's say an earmark in a bill for some kind of coal subsidy, and you yeah. happen to have uh, sexual intercourse with children. It's another when your entire platform, the Lincoln Project, is built 
around the idea that, hey, that person is immoral. We're the Republicans who are not immoral. And you groom and sexually abuse children. Yeah. I don't know yeah. why you're allowed to still be a thing. I think you should go. Yeah. Shouldn't be. Someone bring a frying pan to the old Lincoln Project. <laughs> yeah, the Lincoln Project is wrong for doing that, or at least the one guy who worked for the Lincoln Project who did that. But let's ignore Matt Gates and Joel Greenberg. Cool. Guy out of not jail. literally. That is not a call to violence. No, of course oh, not. What? All right. How enlightening was that? Not very much. So that was that segment. And now we get to the why I left the left so segment of this. there was a lot going on out of public view during the last... Beginning with Tucker Carlson. Let's get it. Election. A lot. Here's the latest example. I like how it says Tucker Carlson investigates Biden's ties to Silicon Valley, and it's a three-minute long video. Like, what an investigation where you can fit all that information in three minutes. Man, he really put in the work on that one. The group Judicial Watch has just obtained hundreds of documents from the Secretary of State of California, our biggest state. Those documents reveal that state officials pressured the social media companies, the big ones, Google, Twitter, Facebook, to censor social media posts they didn't like and that wouldn't help them about the 2020 election. Here's one example. A state agency successfully pressured YouTube, owned by Google, to block a video about mail-in voting. They didn't think it would help the Democratic Party, so the video was blocked. Some of the state's documents were compiled by the firm SKDK. It's he is showing absolutely no citations, no none of this. Like, I would have to do all of the research to verify his investigation. Like, wow. There's absolute, like, he's just talking. There's, there's no graph showing the work. There's, there's no picture of the website, of the data that he's saying, or the video that was blocked. None of it. There's absolutely no information being presented to us beyond just Tucker Carlson's words, which, of course, is part of his show. He, he gets a prompter of what he's supposed to say and where he's supposed to direct your thoughts. So I think it's very unfortunate that we're calling this an investigation. He investigates Biden's ties to Silicon Valley and then provides absolutely no sources citations. He just says, oh, uh, a, a firm, SKDK, uh, put out a data set. And it's like, I have to do all the work. What kind of investigation makes the rest of us do all the work? Top client, Joe Biden. Sagar and Jetty is the host of Rising. We're happy to have him on tonight. Sagar, thanks so much for coming. So for those that don't know, Sagar uh, is from The Hill. Uh, he does Rising in the Morning with um, Crystal Ball. Uh, they usually juxtapose each other. He has more conservative views. She has more progressive Democrat views. And that's why I find it's very interesting for him to be on the show. Although he is a conservative, I find it very weird that he would take his time to go to Tucker Carlson. Although Crystal Ball has said um, nice things about Tucker Carlson, mainly that she likes that he's a populist, that he represents the working class people, which I completely disagree with. I don't think he does that whatsoever. Um, and uh, what I also find interesting is that just recently, uh, Sagar, uh, Sagar, or Sagar, um, he had a video, a really good one, about the uh, sectarianism in the United States and the political divide that our two-party system is kind of feeding off of. Very good uh, report on that one. But what's unfortunate is that he goes onto the show of one of the guys who is driving forward one of the deepest divides in America, which is Tucker Carlson. And in my last uh, segment with uh, Steven Crowder, where he was talking about Tucker Carlson's uh, position on the masks, I highlighted that 
the kind of language that Tucker Carlson was using and what he was imploring people to do was incredibly divisive and uh, toxic to the civil discourse in this country. And Tucker Carlson does that all the time on his show. He is constantly feeding the toxic discourse to really make it difficult for average Americans to relate to each other, to have conversations with each other. And at, that's why it's so weird that Sagar uh, is here talking with Tucker Carlson after that sectarian report. After that analysis of the sectarianism in the United States, he goes to one of the biggest contributors of it to talk to him about it. Not, not about that, to talk about big tech, which um, I don't think is a very divisive subject in the United States, but it's definitely a massive subject for conservatives right now because they keep getting uh, their posts uh, blocked or their accounts banned. Uh, mainly for pushing misinformation and um, harmful narratives. So I think it's very unfortunate that uh, Sagar, uh, Sagar had done this, um, just because Tucker Carlson is m incredibly divisive. Coming, I don't think you could be a fervent Biden voter and still think that maybe this looks like the end of democracy, or am I overstating it? No, you're not, Tucker. The most basic American principle is to distrust the government. YouTube, Google, Twitter, many of these Silicon Valley companies were built on the bedrock principle of free speech. But this is a censorship regime which you would much more see in China. I mean, if you let's really think about it. The Chinese Communist Party runs the Chinese government, which set, creates the censors, which are then dispersed to the Chinese tech companies who decide that Oceania has always been at war with East Asia, and that or Eurasia, I believe. And that is something that they have come to live with there in China. This is something, a one-party state like California in particular, where the intertwinement of party with the government, with the large tech companies who are then listening and complying with some of these regulations. Let's think about it. For your previous guest, Brett Hume, he brought this up, which is that Dr. Fauci back in February was saying that masks don't work. So does that mean that YouTube back in February, where I do host a show as well, should have been taking down videos in which I and some other people right. were expressing skepticism? around this. That would technically be in violation of government practice. And now they're doing the opposite. This is just goes to show how dystopian this can get very quickly. I mean, if you remember, this whole segment was started off by one video uh, concerned by mail-in voting. That was the only example that we provided. But since we're on a conservative new show and we're supposed to be thinking like conservatives, we're all supposed to be well aware of all the narratives that talked about how mail-in voting was bad and how conservatives are being censored and free speech is being undermined by big tech and it's attacking conservative thought. Um, although, like, there's still the same case to be made for, uh, you know, leftist channels. They also have the similar dealings. The surf's gone through many. I've seen... Plenty of people have to put up their, uh, you know, their letters from YouTube and being like, what is this about? Um, and it's on both sides of the spectrum. <sighs> it's. It's just like we're not really having a great conversation of the responsibility of big tech, because the thing is, though, conservatives do believe a lot of narratives that aren't, you know, there's a kernel of truth in them, but they've popped into something else entirely. And so to a certain level of extent, you know, uh, big tech has to be held responsible for what they allow to be uh, perpetuated through their platforms. Um, but this this was my bigger concern after they had removed Donald Trump from Twitter is like, you know, at this point now, the the idea that conservatives are being targeted has been fed so well. Um, 
so it's 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 just very unfortunate because the thing is is that I've always said is that if conservatives want their safe space to talk and they don't want to rely on big tech to um you know not ban their harmful narratives or misinformation is to just create their own outlets in the same way that parlor did um but of course they want access to everybody's minds they don't want to just f- keep feeding the conservative echo chamber although they too want to do that because without the echo chamber how are all of their listeners and followers going to know what to think um but they want to be able to affect as many people as they possibly can and bring them over to their side. And that's why they don't want to start their own platforms where it would most likely become more of an echo chamber and less of a recruitment tool in the ways that YouTube, Twitter, Facebook all are because everybody uses them. Um, but we, we, we need to be having a better discussion because there does need to be accountability for spreading misinformation and harmful narratives that may or may not lead to uh, lockdown protests with guns storming the Capitol in Michigan that happened. And then also uh, narratives that led to the storming of our Capitol in D.C. So there's there's definitely uh, work to be done here. Um, but uh, to just outright think that since the, you know they're doing all of these things, we've reached the big brother, big tech dichotomy of 1984 dystopia. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet. There's definitely, I think, is worthy concern of the government and uh, these big techs collaborating together to stifle free speech. Um, but again, we are dealing with times where the narratives and the information is misleading. And harmful. So there's definitely something we have to do, uh, and not us entirely as much. We we need to have the conversation of what big tech's resp- uh, role is, where big tech definitely needs to figure out what it can do without stomping on people's First Amendment rights. Well, sure. I mean, Google apparently is suppressing photographs of the governor of Virginia in blackface which tells you a lot. So if you have the most powerful companies in the world working stealthily, secretly, to help a specific political party, then where does that leave everyone else? Yeah, well, where are you going to go? Are you going to create your own Google? I mean, they already have, what, 90-something percent of search traffic. I think the most bedrock principle is this, which is that when you begin to see intertwinement of a political party, of state yeah. enforcement, and then along with the so-called private companies, you live in an oligarchy, or and you live right. eventually in a dictatorship. And the only way that they can have dissent is that they have to crush it. We have two options. We're America. Liberty is in our blood. Liberty is largely what we should strive for. And the other option is a police state. And unfortunately, that's where we're beginning to see. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, I hope a lot of people are hearing him as he speaks. Sagarin. <laughs> that's a weird thing to say. Um, and, you know, towards those in sentiments, I do agree a bit that, you know, in the wrong hands, we could reach an oligarchical dictatorship police state. Um, that is definitely a big concern with big tech collaborating with the government. For sure, I think it's something at least leftists can share with that one belief we can share with conservatives but going about it in the right way is more uh important because repealing uh section 230 may not be the best route to go um if people are going to be suing twitter because they ban their accounts and stuff like that um yeah uh there is genuine concern of the collaboration between the state and big tech for sure for sure. I can't say that it's not something that I don't worry about, but um, I just don't know if they're necessarily coming at the right angle, especially when they're saying that conservatives are the only victims of this, while Facebook is a, um, 
you know, a platform that supports conservatism and has shown through studies that it actually has a uh, farther leaning towards conservative uh, posting and groups and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we're not having a very nuanced discussion on this. It seems to be fixed on that, you know, uh, big tech aiming at conservatives and conservatives need to do something to protect their freedoms. And that means uh, repealing Section 230. So that they can sue these big tech uh, outlets for them being held responsible for their comments made on those platforms. So this is just a very unfortunate direction that we're going in. Um, another Tucker Carlson segment to go, and it features Glenn Greenwald, formerly of the Intersect, uh, Intercept, not Intersect, Intercept. Um, and it says Glenn Greenwald on why people are afraid to speak out against R U.S. Russia standoff. Well, speaking of news we haven't been paying enough attention to, the United States and Russia appear to be heading toward some kind of conflict. The White House has called Russia a national emergency. Are we moving? It's very, it, it's very unlikely that the United States and Russia are going to get into an actual armed conflict without the rest of the world also getting into that armed conflict. Um, and the unlikelihood of it is because of them both being uh, nuclear powers. Um, we haven't seen direct conflict with Russia in a very, very long time. Even most of the time during the Cold War, there wasn't very much direct confrontation. Um, so uh, I just don't see it as very likely. Um, there's not a lot of strategic gain for Russia to do so. And the United States, I don't think, really has the resources to go in an all-out war with uh, Russia without really making our, uh, the citizenry suffer for those uh, sacrifices to fight Russia. So uh, I see it as very unlikely, but I could see increased sanctions, trade wars, and proxy wars going on, for sure. ...toward conflict, and why exactly? Glenn Greenwald is unusually clear-eyed on this subject. He's, of course, a journalist. He works on Substack, and you order... So Glenn Greenwald usually comes off with a bit of leftist politics, but he has been featured on right-wing conservative uh outlets for a little bit now since he left the intercept because they would not uh produce his story on the hunter biden debacle even though i would argue whether or not we really needed to know that much about hunter biden as much as we do know i don't think it is relevant to joe biden or really any social issues that we're facing in this country whatsoever i do feel bad for hunter biden to an extent that his personal business has been aired to this degree um but uh glenn greenwald leaving the intercept after that and he's become a bit of like to me a bit of a grifter it seems that he's slowly becoming more and more conservative although he uh is a staunch staunch opposer to um jr bolsonaro in brazil where glenn also lives um glenn is gay jr bolsonaro has openly expressed his contempt towards gay people um even saying that i think he would kill his son or something like that like he would do something to his son if his son was gay he didn't he, he doesn't like the idea but he's also like super far right quite fascist um really really into capitalism so jr bolsonaro uh is a far right leader that glenn greenwald has um really expressed his opposition for but not so much for donald trump especially during the uh 2020 election so i find that very interesting as he's slowly become more and more and more conservative after like intercept was one of the best um news outlets that i had gotten into i think back in like 2014 because they did seem to hold 
Democrats' feet to the fire when Barack Obama wasn't keeping up with his promises or was continuing with the endless wars in the Middle East. So there's definitely a lot of things that I like about The Intercept. They're a pretty good investigative reporting news outlet. Um, and at the time, I had a lot of respect for Glenn Greenwald, but that has slowly deteriorated as he has joined more and more of the conservative party which I don't think it's just because he's joining conservatives. I think it's actually because of the things that he tweets and the things that he's been saying lately. Like, uh, as a good example, like, uh, Sagar, like he's a conservative and I don't disagree with him because he's a conservative. Like I said, that sectarian piece was really good. And so I don't inherently disagree with conservatives just because they're conservatives i usually disagree with them because they're so steeped in misinformation and usually the conservative party works against the best interests of their working class supporters and that's usually when i will oppose most of the things that they're saying i don't try to do it based off of just the party that they're on although i do think that the conservative party is heading in a dark direction uh, especially with marjorie green taylor being elected uh or taylor green is it mtg or mgt I can't even remember, uh, but Marjorie Green Taylor, I think is her name. Yeah. And Laura Boebert. Um, and then there's various like Jim Jordanson. Um, there's there's various Republicans that just make it seem like the Republican Party is really going. Uh, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is another example. Uh, um, what's his name? Mitch McConnell. Like there's plenty of Lindsey Graham. There's plenty of them that represent and speak. And I don't like the direction that they're taking the party. And so that's why I usually take a very staunch reactionary position against them. But for the most part, like Sagar from Rising of the Hill, I don't disagree with him outright. I take in his, his, his pieces because still I feel like he comes from a rational, reasonable conservative place rather than Tucker Carlson's irrational, illogical, and unreasonable conservative place, which seems to actually be dominating the representatives in uh, Congress and the like. Like, Trump was as if Fox News became president. So, all right, let's get into it. That was a lot. I'm sorry. Glenn Greenwald, thanks for coming on tonight. So, simple question. Do we appear to be moving toward some kind of conflict with Russia, and if so, why? The relationship between the U.S. and Russia is clearly at its low point since any time, at least since the Cold War. There's little doubt about that. You ask any analyst and they'll tell you that. And the reason, I think, is twofold. One is that during Russia... Wait, wait, wait. Did he say low point? Because that contradicts this whole segment. The relationship between the U.S. and Russia is clearly at its low point since any time, at least since the Cold War. Dude. <laughs> His opening prompt like went against all of what Tucker Carlson just said. <laughs> cool. War. There's little doubt about that. You ask any analyst and they'll tell you that. And the reason I think is twofold. One is that during Russiagate and this whole hysteria that surrounded it, there was this propaganda campaign to convince a huge part of the population, namely liberals and Democrats, that Russia posed this existential threat to the United States. And they believe it to the point where they think that everything we can do against Russia, we ought to do. And if you even stand up and question it, at, as we're doing now, it probably means that you're some kind of spy for the Kremlin, which is, I'm sure, what people are going to be saying about this segment. But the All right. So now we're just imagining a straw man for leftists. I'm not 100 percent sure if that's where Democrats sit. Um, I would have to ask a few Democrats, but like, I think the general concern was not that we need to, you know, militarily, um, 
hold Russia accountable for, you know, affecting our elections. But there is definitely a feeling in the Democratic Party that they meddled with our elections. And even, you know, Republican intelligence committees also said that Russia meddled in our elections. And so there's a bit of concern within the Republic or the United States to hold Russia accountable for their actions. Um, and I think that is a valid concern. You know, even though the United States also meddles in other people's elections, we should face accountability for those. Um, we need to be consistent with it. So if Russia is meddling with our elections, we also need to hold them accountable for that. But, uh, you know, we're living in a very inconsistent and unaccountable world. So here we are. The other part of it is the war on terror is winding down. We're not in that Iraq anymore. We're coming out of that. What do you mean we're not in Iraq anymore? Yes, we are. What what do you mean? Provide some numbers, because yes, we are. That's standing. So the question is, and the amount of troops that we have in Iraq is equivalent to the amount of troops that we have in Afghanistan. And it's weird that he says that we're going to pull them out. So he must be going off of the fact that Joe Biden said that by September 11th, we're going to pull all troops out of Afghanistan, even though I am incredibly dubious to that. I don't think we're going to bring them out at all. I think there's going to be a catalyst event that is going to convince the public that we should keep our soldiers out in the Middle East. Um, I'm not saying it's some kind of conspiracy theory or whatever, but um, September is a long ways away and a lot can happen in that meantime. And I don't think we have any strategic positioning or even incentive to do so, especially after the fact there's a good video on G uh, what was it called? Geopolitic? Um, there's this great video that or channel that I follow. I'll look it up. Um, but they they went over how Afghanistan has a massive uh, mineral reserve of many 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 minerals, and this has actually piqued the interest of Russia, China, and you guessed it, the United States. They're all very interested in getting uh, a slice of this mineral pie. Um, I think. Afghanistan has already um, uh, made a deal with China, I think a $5 billion deal to help uh, set up the infrastructure for the trade and everything like that. I'll include the video in the description below. Um, but the, the channel is Caspian Report, and Caspian Report does really good analysis of geopolitics around the globe. So I will include that down there. It says, Afghanistan sits on $3 trillion in minerals. So um, if we're going to take the war on terror uh, out of the equation here, the minerals that are in Afghanistan beneath the surface are probably a big interest for major leaders. So I just I just don't see it very likely that we're going to pull troops out of Afghanistan, although I would love for us to pull all of our troops out of the Middle East. Like we're we're currently occupying seven different countries and I am all for pulling all of them out. It's unfortunate that if we did it now, Afghanistan would have absolutely no infrastructure or government to properly uh, govern themselves, but um, that's just the kind of fuckery that we fucked them up with. How do you keep weapons manufacturers who exert huge amounts of influence and power in Washington with the business where the government keeps using taxpayer money to buy weapons that don't do any good for anyone? Remember, the, the person who Biden tapped to run the Pentagon, Lloyd Austin, literally came right from the board of directors of Raytheon. And the answer always can be Russia. If you scare enough people to believe that Russia poses a threat to their way of life, they'll agree to keep giving more and more money to the military budget in the name of deterring or stopping them yeah and that's funny because you know uh russia might be the boogeyman for democrats 
but China is the boogeyman for uh, Republicans. So once Republicans take hold and power again, they'll make these same arguments to sell weapons and bolster the military because China, it's the same thing. And, you know, we're, we're, we've been recycling these same tensions for decades now. And it's very unfortunate because there's not a lot of uh, benefits to the American citizen to be going to Cold War with Russia or China. Beyond the fact that, you know, with uh, uh, maybe with, you know, us still posing as the world leader, we can get better economic benefits. But that doesn't seem to always trickle down to the most vulnerable inside the United States. So, again, I'm not going to advocate for going to a Cold War with Russia or China. I think it's a terrible idea. And I think we need to globalize most of our trade and information and let it free flow and, you know, quit with our petty competitions against each other and stop meddling with other countries' uh, development so that they can also, too, uh, you know, self-actualize and become the countries that they see fit. <sighs> Here we go. So why isn't, since Russia is a nuclear-armed power and, and part of a, a very powerful axis internationally, why isn't there more discussion about the degradation of our relations with Russia, that we're moving towards something bad? Why aren't we talking about this? Well, it's interesting. You know, this is one of those times where it's useful to go back a little bit in history before 2017. We're often told history doesn't begin until 2017. But there was a huge bipartisan pressure campaign. Again, another straw man, because I don't know who's saying that campaign on President Obama to send lethal arms to Ukraine. And all you have to do is look at a map or history of how Russia was almost twice destroyed in the 20th century to see the crucial uh, importance of Ukraine to, to Russia. The situation in Ukraine back in 2014 was actually one of the catalyst moments that got me more politically aware. I remember watching uh, the, the Civil War kind of unfold as it began as protests, very violent and uh, scary protests. Um, but I do remember that there were people who said Obama uh, should do more military against uh, Russia in regards to Ukraine, which I was glad that we avoided, um, although at a certain point, Russia then invaded and annexed Crimea, which did not um, really deter the situation very much. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's really difficult because... Uh, the UN wants Ukraine to become a member and become a member of NATO, which would be a great strategic loss to Russia because Russia is incredibly antagonized by NATO. So it's a very complicated geopolitical situation that to say I, I, it's really hard for me. I just I don't want to meddle in people's affairs um, beyond the extent that it um, really just puts our interests in front of theirs. Um, but the, the Ukraine situation is a very difficult one. I'm just doing some research here because I wanted to see something. Because um, this was coming from time. Senate Republicans hammer Obama officials on Ukraine. Senate Republicans vented their frustration over the deteriorating situation. In Ukraine on Tuesday, as a panel of Obama administration witnesses struggled to lay how the U.S. could block Russian President Vladimir Putin from enforcing his will in the embattled country. While political theater is nothing new in Capitol Hill hearings, Tuesday's session on whether the U.S. should broaden military aid to Ukraine and step up sanctions against Russia saw lawmakers slap their desk cut off witnesses and let emotions fly republicans focus their anger on why president barack obama hasn't taken a stronger stance against putin 
So it's weird that like now Democrats are being vilified for taking a stronger stance against Putin when back in 2014, it was the Republicans who were frustrated that they weren't taking a stronger stance in, against Putin. So when you're a when you're a Republic, like when you're a Democrat and you do something, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't with conservatives and Republicans. There's there's literally no way to win. Like if Obama was going to go do more with Ukraine, I'm sure Republicans would have took took in the anti-war stance and said, oh, we don't we need to be race, wasting our resources on that. But Obama's point was correct, which was it has no crucial importance to us. So why would we want to risk confrontation with a nuclear on power over Ukraine? And I think. Yeah. And it's funny that Tucker Carlson there is, is sitting there laughing about it because it was the Republican position back then to do more reason why people don't question it is because they're afraid that if you stand up and say there's n it's not worth U.S. lives, U.S. treasure, or any kind of U.S. interest to protect Ukraine from, from Moscow, you get accused of being an apologist for the Kremlin or someone serving Russian interests. And that's become a very powerful political weapon that shapes our discourse and is affecting all aspects of our policy. See, and that's the amazing thing that we've seen in this change of like seven years is that now like you know, the Republicans are like, what? Why don't you turn down a little bit? There's no strategic value to going to war with Russia. And then in 2014, it was like, why aren't we doing more to go to war with Russia? You know, it's 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 flip floppiness, inconsistencies. And that's what makes me really weary of the Republican Party and Democrats. You know, they have they, they have the same issues as well. But um, Glenn Greenwald is really just feeding the machine here. Let's see. Name-calling is a form of social control, and a very effective one, as you just pointed out. Glenn Greenwald, who is totally resistant to that. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Thank I, I mean, I find, hey, it, Sean Hannity here. I find it incredibly interesting that he used 2014 to be like, oh, see, we all forgot about that back then, and just left out entirely the context that the Republican Party was the party that wanted Obama to do more military action against Russia for annexing Crimea. Yeah, uh, GOP skewers Obama's weak response in Ukraine. There, that's another headline. Um, let's see, what does this one say? Uh, Obama says GOP's Biden inquiry promotes Russian disinformation. That's from the election. Um, let's see. Let's see. Did you, nope. Nope. Uh, Republicans demand Obama get tougher with Putin. So now it's just flipped entirely since Biden is being a little bit tougher on Russia. The Democrats are focused in on Russia for its uh, affairs with our elections. And now Republicans are being like, it's fear mongering. It's, it's great. So I'm glad Glenn Greenwald brought up that we're missing historical context and then proceeds to miss historical context. That's good. Now, to finish this all up, we have Tulsi Gabbard. So what the reason why I picked these segments is because uh, Sagar isn't a uh, left-leaning person, but he's on The Hill, um, which is a left-leaning news outlet, and he usually has pretty discussions with the left-leaning crystal ball, um, giving a you know moderate conservative's position on usually what she's saying, or she gives her position to what he's saying, and it's a very healthy discourse. Um, it's a lot better than the the crossfire that Tucker Carlson did back in the day on uh, CNN. Um, and then uh, we followed it up with Glenn Greenwald, who used to have uh, much more what, what seemed to me stronger left-leaning politics, even though he, too, wanted to hold the Obama administration accountable for its actions. But nowadays seems to be sl slightly leaning more and more right-wing. 
as as time goes on. Um, and then this one with Tulsi Gabbard, who ran as a Democrat uh, for the uh, nomination of president back in 2019 before Joe Biden was picked. Um, Tulsi Gabbard has also been going on a lot of right wing news outlets to give her peace of mind and seems to be the type of person who isn't necessarily too Democrat. Um, the Democrat ideology isn't what she's really into, uh, as I can see from her comments made on her various appearances on like Fox News. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tulsi Gabbard actually runs for Republican nomination in 2024. I would not be surprised by that whatsoever. I wouldn't be surprised if she decides to change her seat in 2022, because I think right now she's not even a senator or representing any uh, any state whatsoever. I don't think she's in office right now. I think her time ran out at the beginning of the year. Um, but we could see her move into the Republican Party in 2022 and try to take a seat in it, then as a member of the Republican Party and then finally again for president. So uh, Michael Knowles comes in with this segment. How do we come back from the political brink? You've got BLM torching the country and defending kids stabbing other kids just to own the cops. Call Again, that's a mistaken framing of it, but I'm sure that there are some Democrats who are taking that position. But like I said in the episode where I covered Micaiah Bryant's uh, killing is that there's definitely a question worth taking of police tactics. Do we want our cops to be like the Punisher where they kill criminals without due process just because we know they're criminals? Or do we take the route of the daredevil who stops crime without killing anybody and make sure that everybody sees their day in court, which he sees fit since, you know, in his double life, he is a lawyer um we we're at that point now where we have to ask ourselves do we want judge dread and robocop or do we want uh you know even superman who questioned taking life in in order to save lives like that's always been a superhero question um batman had made several comics specifically about that well not batman himself but the authors of certain batman comments had brought that into question such as like the killing joke um so I, I'm I'm on that degree is that we should have cops that are more interested in taking people in alive than immediately going to their gun to solve every problem. Calls for abolishing the police entirely. And now the Republican standard bearer, at least in, in California, is a man who thinks that he's a woman. We have really, <laughs> something has gone wrong Wait, in what? our political world woman. The Republican standard bearer, at least in, in California, is a man who thinks that he's a woman. We have... Is he talking about Caitlyn Jenner? Did he just diss Caitlyn Jenner, a member of his conservative party? She's running as a conservative in California. That's wow. All right. Really? See, just not even, just not even being, uh, you know, that's why I think it's funny that Caitlyn Jenner is running in the conservative party when the conservative party has introduced over like a hundred anti-trans bills across the United States. Um, she's choosing the party much like Dave Rubin did, who's, who don't like down to their ideals, do not like them. They don't like homosexuality. They don't like transgendered people. And yet for some reason they pick that party to, uh, to, to, to to do their stuff it's like dave rubin's case is a very apparent grifter um caitlin jenner i'm not really sure i think she just might be genuinely interested in being governor and has always had conservative politics and just doesn't really observe the anti-trans uh you know 
uh, beliefs that go into conservatism as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's unfortunate that Caitlyn Jenner is going that way and Michael Knowles is going to make fun of her for it. <laughs> Something has gone wrong in our political world. Do you know who has the answer? One of the few politicians with crossover appeal in this country, Tulsi Gabbard, who says, hey guys, chill out, hang loose, and just embrace the spirit of aloha. Which again is like almost like saying like, you know, a hippie's stance, which again is another thing that conservatives are against. They, they were against the anti-war hippies back in the 1960s and 70s. And I'm sure they would be against them yet again if there were more protests to end the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia. And uh, there's, uh, I, I think there's like four other countries that are just blanking my mind right now. But if there were bigger movements that were led by hippies saying, hey, peace, man, the conservatives would be taking their time to dismantle them uh, through ad hominem attacks and making them look like disgusting degenerates rather than, you know, the, 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 the actual opposition of the war. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a bigger anti-war movement to watch actually conservatives argue why we should stay in Iraq and Afghanistan, although that wouldn't be a very popular position right now since the approval rating of those wars is as low as they could possibly be across the board. My dear friends, my fellow Americans, please, please let us stop the racialization of everyone and everything. It's racialism. We are all children of God and are therefore family in the truest sense, no matter our race or ethnicity. This is aloha. And this is what our country and the world need. The mainstream propaganda media and politicians, they want us to constantly focus on our skin color and the skin color of others because it helps them politically or financially. Also weird hearing from Tulsi Gabbard because she says incredibly Islamophobic stuff. Hold on. We're all children of God, unless your God is is uh, uh, Allah, and then we're, we're no longer children of God. I don't even know where you came from. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can find some quotes here. Um, because Tulsi Gabbard has, <laughs> she's very staunchly opposed the LGBTQIA plus community. So she's not, she doesn't think that they are children of God. Um, and she's also um, said a lot of Islamophobic things as well. I think she even introduced an anti-trans bill with like not letting uh, trans women participate in women's sports. So like, again, must not be children of God then, huh? Um, let me see if I can find the comment specifically. Um, uh, Gabbard doesn't hesitate to call detection of Hindus where they are right do, 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 do. I can't find. Gamera was effusive. Um, despite the rampant acceleration, do, 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 including Imagination. So I'm going to read this paragraph. Just find it a little bit interesting. Gabbard's strident loyalty toward Modi, 
the dictator in India, and India's fascism shows no signs of diminishing. In a 2016 Quartz interview, Gabbard was effusive. Modi impressed me as, and this is a quote from her, Modi impressed me as a person who cares deeply about these issues and as a leader whose example and dedication to the people he serves should be an inspiration to elected officials everywhere. She just said that a fascist should be inspiration to elected officials everywhere. Awesome. Uh, this May, in an interview with The Intercept, she was given the prime opportunity to disavow the court's quote, but chose not to comment on it, claiming she didn't know the context. Despite the rampant acceleration of violence against India's Muslim minority, like I said, she's incredibly Islamophobic, and these, uh, these, this violence against India's Muslim minority include lynchings and widespread targeting of uh dissenters gabbard recently congratulated the prime minister for securing a second term notably she hasn't uttered a single word about india's sudden august 5th removal of special status for the muslim major majority state of jammu and kashmir the brutal crackdown and the communication blackout that has followed her silence on kashmir speaks volumes this is what i'm saying children of god to an extent and she's she's using the exact rhetoric of like everything's so racialized now in the in 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 our politics and all democrats use in their cards to say something's wrong is that it's racist and it's like dude you you're using the same exact talking points as a Tucker Carlson would Tulsi you're 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 aware of that right so um yeah it's uh it sucks it, it this sucks Tulsi is not the best person to say we should respect each other because we're all the children of God because there's obviously a line for her when it comes to being LGBTQIA plus or Muslim. Aloha means respect and love for others. It's what enables us to see beyond our skin color and see the soul, the person within. And the gender of your soul and who your soul sees as God. So let's do our best to cultivate this aloha in our hearts and see and treat others through this prism of love, not through the prism of race and ethnicity. Please let us not allow ourselves to be led down this dark and divisive path of racialism and hate. Again, she's like, it's the same conservative argument that they're more, they're more worried about people pointing out racism than the actual racism not the best position to take, especially in the times that we're seeing right now. Love this, absolutely brilliant. What most people are gonna hear is this sort of platitudinous thing about, you know, it's just about aloha. Just chill out and pop a coconut, you know, and have a few drinks. It's cool, man, we're all, we're all people. Let's just sing Kumbaya. That's not what she's saying. She's got a little bit of that because she's a politician. But what she's saying is more specific and more insightful. She says, a lot of people in this country who are in very powerful positions have a financial and political stake in keeping us divided, especially on this fault line of race. She's saying... I mean, yeah, almost every major power has an interest in having its citizenry uh, divided to an extent because then the, you know, the citizenry can't collaborate together to form a better alternative to the powers that be. So of course politicians, big business and all of that all of that like have an interest in keeping us all divided and that's why we've remained divided based on race for hundreds of years. Saying that the establishment, 
which doesn't like her any more than they like Donald Trump, actually. They're in different political parties, but the liberal establishment, the blob, the corporations, uh, you know, the multinationals, the administrative state, the sort of permanent government, the big tech sector, all of these, the things that all work in tandem. I like how big tech is separate from the big corporations. <laughs> Don't like Tulsi Gabbard because she contradicts their narrative. And she's saying those guys have a real incentive to keep you all divided up. So they Yeah, she's adopting populist rhetoric so that she can gain followers. The thing that deeply, like truly deeply, worries me about Tulsi Gabbard and the reason why I didn't like that she was um, running under for president is that she has ties to a cult. I'll, uh, let's see if I can find the article, and I'll put it in the description below. Let's see here. This one comes from Huffington Post. Tulsi Gabbard still dodged by Krishna cult rumors. 11 years ago, U.S. Representative Tulsi Gabbard, now a rising star in the Democratic Party, was a little-known state representative from West Oahu. Oahu district. It was her then Republican father, Mike, who was in the political limelight. The elder Gabbard, known for his virulent, uh, virulent anti-gay crusade in the 1990s, was challenging Democratic imp- incumbent Ed Case in the race to represent Hawaii's 2nd Congressional District. So, for a profile piece, a writer at Honolulu Magazine emailed him and asked about his family's ties to a guru named Chris Butler, a.k.a. Jagad Guru, a uh, lot of words that I can't say after that. His name is crazy. Sudahas. Wow. Wow. I'm just going to call him Jagad Guru, uh, who leads an obscure offshoot of the Hare Krishna movement in Hawaii. But Tulsi Gabbard jumped in, quote, I smell a skunk, unquote, she emailed back. It's clear to me that you're acting as a conduit for homosexual extremist gr- supporters of Ed Case. Much has changed with Tulsi Gabbard since then. She enlisted in the Hawaiian uh, Army National Guard and served two tours in the Middle East before successfully running for a seat in the Honolulu City Council in 2010. Then in 2012, she got what eluded her father, a seat representing Hawaii, Hawaii in Congress. But one thing has remained. The Gabbard family's ties to Butler still hound her. In the hallways of the Hawaii State Capitol, on blogs of political observers, on pages of online discussion forums, and in commentary sections of various news sites, including Civil Beats and this one you're listening to now. Now, the mysterious world that's been swirling around Gabbard all her life is coming under close scrutiny as the 33-year-old congresswoman's stature on the national stage steadily rises and her views on the national and international issues. Whether she's standing up for veterans or challenging President Barack Obama over his stance on the Islamic State continue to draw the media spotlight. During the past few weeks, speculation about her place in the world has intensified thanks to no small part to two recent developments in her life, one personal and one professional, her upcoming marriage to Abraham Williams, and the appointment of Kainoa Ramananda Penarosa as her top advisor. Um, Both men grew up in the same offbeat religious world as Gabbard. Many of the people who still talk about and obsess over Gabbard Gabbard's family ties to Butler try to also paint both Williams and Penarosa as devotees of the guru, devotees of the guru. A civil beat review of decades worth of records and internet postings, as well as interviews with the Butler group's insiders and observers alike, found that as with Gabbard, there is no evidence that either of the men 
adheres to Butler's teachings. Interesting. Uh, still, the internet continues to provide a ready forum for the commotion over Gabbard to fester. You need to look no further than a thread on the Cult Education Institute's forum titled Chris Butler, Jagad Guru, Science of Identity. Civil Beat recently scanned the entire thread and found a trove of information, including useful links, scanned copies of news articles, and other historical documents. For this story, Civil Beat drew on information from the forum that could be verified along with other publicly available documents and news articles, as well as interviews with people who have intimate knowledge about the community of Butler devotees. What emerged is a fascinating look at the world Gabbard and her close associates grew up, grew up in. It's another lens through which to view the fast-rising congresswoman. So, And then they get into the history of the cult. So I will include uh, this link in there, but... That is a deep concern for me, very deep concern, especially since I actually don't know enough about the Krishna cult. So just uh, be aware that Tulsi Gabbard has some very odd ties. They can maintain their grip on power. It is just like what Amazon does, for instance, when various local Amazon worker groups want to unionize. You've seen some memos come out about this. Amazon will always go in and find ways to get them to hate each other. And they, and it's not just Amazon. Big companies have been doing this for a long time. They'll go in. And he laughs it off, even though this is like egregiously unethical. And, and figure out the fault lines in the company among the workers so that the workers don't unionize. And then once they get all the workers to hate each other, the big corporation gets to maintain power. The left has, has recognized this for a long time. And the and it's very weird that he is not condemning that action whatsoever. Um, and what's also odd, too, is that when they talk about unions, they'll say how the teacher union is overpowered. So, again, I'm getting a little bit of inconsistencies here in the conservative thought, and I'm not really sure where we're going to take this at this point. Right. For a long time, especially when the right was shilling for big corporations. Refuse. <laughs> As if they've ever stopped. <laughs> to acknowledge it but this is true this is just what this is a very basic political strategy and it's obviously what's happening right now and it does account i think for a lot of the focus on these physical characteristics notice what she says here she says we're all children of god we're told to think in a racial way primarily but we're all children of god what she's saying here as a matter of philosophy is we're told to think about the physical but actually we have something that binds us at a metaphysical level this is, by the way, why... It shouldn't even have to take the invocation of God for people to feel a, a deeper connection to each other. I guess if you really want to make it a really deep connection, you can do that, although uh, secularism is on the rise in the United States, so it's probably not the most sound way to uh, unify everyone. Rather, we should focus on the fact that we're all fucking Americans, every single one of us. So if... if, if, if you know, and that's enough for the nationalists to get on board for. But still, they have this weird, um, I don't know, criminality of others if it, they're not quite patriotic enough. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think that, you know, trying to reach on a deeper level, especially if it's only prescribed to the Judeo-Christian level of a deeper value, it's not going to do much for our country. But Michael Knowles is a very open Christian about this, so he thinks this is the best route to take. Christians, regardless of their views on evolution or the origins of mankind, the church has always insisted upon the descent of the human race from two parents. Regardless of how that all came to be, human beings must descend from these two parents. It's called monogenism. 
because that, that accounts for our human dignity and our human solidarity. Now, we are made in the image of God. We all have this common link all the way back. Tulsi Gabbard pointing that out. Really, really good stuff. Beneath all... I just wanted to look at this monogenism thing. It says uh, monogenism or monogenesis is the theory of human origins which posits a common descent for all human races. Monogism, uh, genism, or monogenesis may also refer to uh, recent African origin of modern humans, asexual reproduction, which involves only one parent. What the... F Dude, he even got the definition of that wrong. It actually has nothing to do with two parents. Wow. I mean, it could. It, it's a theory, so it's not like concrete, but it, it could. But I think monogenism specifically speaks about like not the duality because mono usually means single. Um, so I thought I wanted to look that up real quick, but that's very interesting that it even posits asexual reproduction, which only involves one parent. And he made it sound like it really has to deal with two parents. Um, polygenesis in the field of linguistics, polygenesis is the view that human languages. Okay. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. That's linguistics. We're talking about biology. Um, yeah. So, uh, he got the definition wrong. <laughs> like that's 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 the essential piece that I got from that. All of the lines you've heard about how we should all get along. That key, the propaganda media. That's what you've got to be on your guard. I mean, if you can't do it without God, like it's very unfortunate that you can't realize we're all human beings, you know, or that like all life on Earth is exactly all life on Earth, you know. So it's very unfortunate that you have to have the orthodox prescription of a judeo-christian god in order to feel uh, a connection with you know the strangers outside of your own world that's very interesting barred against people don't like it people don't like the messages that we're being told by the establishment media right now true however they continue to do it hold <laughs> up all right and that is the end of the segments. That is the end of the Tox News. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. Um, I got Militia Watch and the article on Tulsi Gabbard in the description below. Like if you liked it, dislike if you don't, rate, review, subscribe, and share. And other than that, I will return to you next time for another sweet, juicy episode of What's Really Toxic. Um, and yeah, um, go enjoy the rest of your day. I'll see you next time.